Hi, everyone. This is Keith Jurian, the legislature columnist for the Edmonton Journal and the host of the Press Gallery interview. You are about to listen to episode five of our little new podcast. Uh, we've been getting lots of listens so far, and we'd love to have more. So please tell your friends. Make sure to subscribe on Apple or Stitcher or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're so inclined, give us a five star review. We'd love it. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Press Gallery interview. My name is Keith Dryan. I'm the legislature columnist for the Edmonton Journal. This is the episode for Wednesday, November 14th, and I have a very special guest with us today. I'm not even sure what to call you. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to list you. Uh, it is Richard Starkey, who is the MLA for Vermilion Lloyd Minster. Are you an independent? Are you a progressive conservative? What what's what do you go by? Well, I, I am a progressive conservative. I self-identify as a progressive conservative, which I, I have the opportunity to do. Uh, but because there's only one of me in the legislature, we don't have party status, and accordingly, I'm considered an independent. Hmm. Okay, well, that, that clears that up a little bit. Great to have you on. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is you have... I think in your seven, eight years that you've been in the legislature, you've had a variety of experiences. You've been on the government side, you've been a backbencher and a cabinet minister. You're now on the opposition side. You were part of a caucus, but now now independent. So you've kind of seen it all uh, right. from different vantage points. Right now, as you said, you're an independent. I think you're you're sort of in the uh, the northwest corner of the chamber, and there's there's a variety of singles in there. there there's you and, and Prab Gill and Derek Bilderbrand is down there. Uh, David Swan from the Liberals. You may be getting Robin Luff, who we'll talk about in, in, a, in a few minutes. What goes on down in that corner? You guys don't get a lot of speaking time in the chamber. So do you talk amongst yourselves? Do you joke? What, what, what goes on down in that corner? Well, it's true that the speaking rotation and, and the rotation in question period for member statements is, is relatively restrictive if you're not part of a recognized party. And there's, uh, you know, as you said, Dr. Swan and Mr. Pilderbrand, Mr. Gill and myself, but we do interact a fair bit, uh, you know, and we have good, great, actually great conversations, you know, to the extent that we're allowed to, you know, obviously we, we, we can't have, be having these loud debates, you know, while, while uh, proceedings are going on. But uh, no, I've had some, I've had some very good conversations with, with, uh, with Greg Clark and with, with Dr. Swan and uh, I mean, even with Derek Fieldbrett. Yeah, be, it's interesting because... You know, you're all from different political backgrounds, and so you, you want to know if, uh, you know, if you have disagreements or, you know, if there, there's things that you can still joke about and, as human beings. Um, but it must be an interesting perspective kind of being uh, on your own. Part of the beauty of it is, though, it, and, and really that corner is almost the microcosm of what I think, you know, our, our legislatures need to move more toward. You know, we have people from right across the political spectrum. You know, we have Dr. Swan who's more to the you know, left of center, if you like, and then all the way across to Derek Fildebrandt. And yet within the group of us, we have some, you know, we do have some really good conversations. We get along very well. And, uh, you, know, it, it, and you know, we seek common ground. And uh, it's, uh, it's something that I think we need to see a lot more of and something that sadly I think we're moving away from. Uh, I think our legislatures are becoming far more partisan. I think that that partisanship really paralyzes the activity of our legislatures, and it means that the ideas from, if you like, the other side are rarely given the considerations they should be, and consequently, we, we lose out on some of what needs to find its way into legislation. And I, I've seen this, as you said, from both sides. I saw it when I sat in government, where I saw that opposition amendments, even ones that I thought were good amendments, 
were routinely defeated just out of course. And I've seen it now that we've been on the opposition side where we'll, uh, uh, you know, I'll introduce an amendment or another opposition member will introduce an amendment, but the government just does not want to give even a single, if you like, win to the opposition side, even if they know full well that the amendment would improve their piece of legislation. They, they just refuse to do that. And that doesn't help Albertans. I mean, ultimately, the 87 of us are supposed to be working on behalf of all Albertans, and we're supposed to be governing. Uh, and rather, I think that the focus, and especially I think the next six months will show this, that we're focused instead on winning, winning that next election. And, you know, I talked to many, many Albertans that frankly have become weary of politicians that are more worried about their political future than the province's future. Yeah, some of these issues were, I think, laid bare in uh, an issue that has happened in the legislature this, this very session. Robin Luff, for those mm-hmm. who don't know, an NDP backbencher um, has decided not to, uh, at least at this point, sit in the legislature to protest what she says kind of a, as a culture of fear and intimidation, uh, infringement on her ability to advocate for her constituents. She talks about, you know, any kind of uh, outlet she has to speak in the legislature, a question during question period, member statements, uh, presentations during committees. They're all scripted by the party ahead of time, and she has to, has to kind of go with what the party wants. And I think that relates very much to what you've just been talking about. You've, you wrote a, an article, I think it was last year, uh, for the Canadian Parliamentary Review that covered some of this, some of your own experiences. But seeing what's gone on with Robin Luff so far uh, in this session, what did you think when you saw that letter and some of the, the social media posts that she's been putting out? Well, you know, Ms. Luff is really pointing out some of the challenges of, of being within a caucus and the style that that caucus is operating. And whether it's very much a command and control from a central point where the messaging has to be very tightly scripted, which is what we've actually seen with the current government. We, we see it in the committee meetings as an example. You know, the NDP members walk in, they've each got a binder, and, you know, when there's a motion to be made or something, they just read it off the page. It's all been scripted. And what's interesting is to see how they react or respond when there's something unscripted comes up. Because really... They're not allowed to make any sort of decision on their own. We saw this continuously during the Special Committee on Ethics and Accountability. Whenever there was a motion brought forward by the opposition benches and the government didn't know how to react, they immediately moved for an adjournment. And then we'd have this 10-minute adjournment and they'd go scurrying off somewhere to get their instructions uh, to see how to vote on that motion. And most often it was defeated. But that sort of, you know, that sort of taking away of the independent thinking of, the ind- of, the, of each MLA within a caucus, that's part of the balance between, yes, you're part of a team, yes, you're expected to have a cohesive message, and I understand that, but you're also a representative. You've been elected to represent your constituents, and, you know, it's somewhere within that continuum that you have to, you know, sort of strike a balance, and uh, Ms. Luff and, 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 and Ms. McPherson before her uh, both have found that the command and control style, the very tightly scripted style that the NDP is running, and you know perhaps it's to be somewhat expected. This was a very inexperienced caucus. This was a caucus that many of the members really didn't expect to be elected and had no experience as far, no expectation as to how things would go. And so the four members who had had previous experience, of course, had to you know, sort of run a very tight ship. And uh, we've seen that really throughout the three and a half years. We've seen, you know, the votes on virtually every issue are whipped. And uh, there's, you know, a relatively little 
independent thought. And, and you know, really, anybody looking at a group of 50-plus people is going to say that's not even really realistic. 50-plus uh, people are going to have a ver- variety of views, and they're going to have differences of opinion. And for them to vote en masse, en bloc, on every issue is just not even realistic. Uh, yeah, well, it surprised me a little bit because the NDP did kind of promise they were going to do government differently. I I haven't really seen it yet. I, I've been even surprised in committee meetings, uh, the scripted questions and answers, even to that degree in a committee meeting. Uh, most people, though, when they they view politics, it's question period, right? That's sort yes. of the thing they turn into. You write in your article about how surprised you are at how many people come up to you and say, oh, I saw you in question period. And you had a you have an interesting response for them, right? I, what what was what's that response? Well, I I sometimes tell them, you know, we have a program to to get you off that, or I sometimes joke that says you re- actually really need to develop other hobbies. But uh, <laughs> no, it's it's actually remarkable, and I, and I mean, I suppose it's gratifying that a lot of people do watch Question Period because that's the sort of the real thrust in Perry. But the other thing people need to realize is that's political theater, uh, and there's a lot of posturing that goes on in Question Period. And you know, I know what I was coached to say as a cabinet minister during question period, I wasn't always necessarily the best um, student of that coaching, uh, but we were always taught to, you know, not to answer the question, but to use that as an opening to speak to whatever the topic of the day was and to make sure you always pivoted, you know, to that topic. And then on the third response to always, you know, send some sort of jab back at the other side. And I thought, you know, really it's sort of childish. And as Minister of Tourism, Parks and Recreation, I didn't get a lot of questions. I'm certainly not like the health minister or the education minister, but I did get some. And I know I was frequently admonished by my colleagues and the people in the premier's office because I would answer the question. <laughs> and they, they said, you know, that's what, not what question period's about. Like they call it question period, not answer period. And I said, you know, that's really childish. If somebody asks me a reasonable question and a respectful question is seeking the information on behalf of their constituents or, you know, the people of Alberta as a whole, I said, they deserve a respectful answer. And if I can't answer the question, I should just say, you know what? I don't know. I can't answer that question right now. I will get back to you. You know, what is wrong with that? But that, you know, we were told that that is just something you never say. Right. How dare you answer a question? Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because watching question period this session, uh, as well as last, it seems like we are seeing quite a lot of what you've just described. I mean, from your vantage point every day, watching the NDP and the UCP. Um, what are you seeing in question period? This government was elected largely on a promise of doing things differently. And I have to smile, when, when Sandra Jansen was still a member of our, of our caucus, she, she dubbed them the doing things differently gang rides again. Right. And, and you know, truthfully, they haven't been doing things differently. They have fallen into the same pattern of what I call somewhat arrogant and smug government that became our downfall when we were the Progressive Conservative Party. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that is uh, some of the issues that Robin Luff w- was talking about in, in her letter t- to a degree. Um, how did you think she handled that, though? The, you know, the decision not to sit in the legislature, uh, at least temporarily, was that, was, and to go public with it, uh, you know, does it, you've, you face the same situation from your caucus, right? You had to make a decision on, on what you were going to do because you were not happy with the group that you were with. Uh, how do you think she handled it? Well, you know, I, I, I don't like to be critical of, you know, another member. You know, everybody has to choose their own course. But, you know, I, I think the, the one thing that I, I am certainly critical of is that she should be in the chamber and she should be doing her job sitting. Uh, if you have an issue, you have to speak up and the place to speak up is in the legislature. You've been elected to represent, so be a representative. Uh, 
so I think that part of the decision I, I do have an issue with. With regards to how public you are and, you know, whether you air all of this in Twitter or, or on Facebook or however, uh, you know, different people have different styles of getting their message out to, to the world. I, I've, I've found Twitter to be, or, you know, some of these social media uh, methodologies to be a little frustrating because it's hard to have a really good discussion within, well, it used to be 140 characters, now it's 280, but it's still pretty difficult to have a real good reason discussion. Uh, but I think the primary thing that I would be critical of is the decision to not show up for work. Uh, I, I think that's a very fundamental thing. Albertans expect that, if, look, if you have a disagreement with your party, and we've seen that numerous times before, where if you have a basic disagreement, either with your leader or with your party, or can't sit in your caucus anymore, you say, I cannot, and you go sit as an independent. That's, that's right. the course that you're supposed to take. But to simply boycott the legislature, I, I don't agree with that. So what is the the danger of this increasing hyper partisanship I should say they you know we've seen what's happened in the United States and the two party system there and just the polarization um that's been fed in, in part by uh, you know some leaders one in particular right now who is uh, I think really stoking that but you know are we heading down that path are we getting to the point where we might become more american style politics where nobody's willing to give an inch or work with each other Well I'm concerned that we are headed that way and you know my article I you, I used the term paralysis that, you know, really we've seen in the United States uh, over the course of the last 25 years, uh, uh, it morphed from a situation where there was quite a bit of cooperative work done between the Democrats and the Republicans. And granted, it was a two-party system, but the two parties worked together uh, quite well uh, until about the mid-90s. And then, the, you know, the decision by the Republican leadership was that we need to focus on winning, not just on governing. And and so as a result of that, that, that turned into a very polarized thing. We saw it during the Obama administration. We will likely now see it in the next two years during the Trump administration where the Democrats control the House. And it makes it extremely difficult to move legislation forward. And the level of rhetoric and the level of, you know, again, partisanship, which to a certain extent I think is fueled and fertilized by social media. Uh, you know, you, you see that going on and, and you see an entrenchment of positions on both sides, and what what gets squeezed out is is the middle, uh, or what you know, and 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 you know, moderate centrists. You know, really, if you talk to most people, that's where the people are. Most people don't take a, an extreme position on most issues one way or the other. You talk to most people, and they consider themselves well. You know, I'm sort of in the middle, and right. and you know, right now at least. Uh, uh, you know, the only party really that, that uh, you know, appears to be able to represent the middle in terms of having candidates in most of the uh, constituencies in the next election will likely be the Alberta party. You know, right, certainly yeah. the NDP won't be there. Uh, the UCP, and I said this last week, and I still, I, I absolutely think this is true, the UCP is farther right than either the Wild Rose or the Progressive Conservative parties were. And so right. we have this situation where there's this huge vacuum politically, and yet culturally and socially, that's where most people are. I wonder how that happened. I, I mean, I sort of understand the dynamics of how the, you know, the UCP and the NDP came to be in their positions, but just this entrenchment, this increasing refusal to work with the other side, to give an inch, you know, I, I suppose we can, in the United States, you can blame the media to some degree, um, you know, conservative talk radio, leftist talk radio. Here in Canada, I, we haven't necessarily had the same kind of influence to the same degree. I, I'm I, I'm I'm a bit at a loss at, at how that happened that it, that hyperpartisanship here. You know, certainly some of the trends that we see in the U.S. 
you know, are, you know, do move here. Uh, you know, I have had people come to me and say, you know, if you want to be successful politically, you have to be more like the president of the United States, you know, huh. make statements that are, you know, perhaps not even true or outrageous, but, you know, get your base fired up. And, you know, to me, that isn't a way to have intelligent political discourse. You know, we have serious issues in this country, in this province that need serious discussion. And we need to be able to, you know, have an open mind to at least, you know, hear the other side and say, well, you know, that is actually a good idea. You know, this is my problem. I said in the very first speech I gave in the legislature that no party has a monopoly on all the good ideas. And really our job is not to worry about whether it's a wild rose or a progressive conservative or a liberal or an NDP idea. We have to decide which are the good ideas. And we have to figure out a way for the good ideas to get into the legislation. Because the way it is right now, the only, the only group's ideas that get into the current legislation is the idea of the ruling party. And especially right. when we have a majority government. And, you know, and that's the other part of having a two-party system is, is you will forever have majority. And if there aren't other smaller parties, third parties, that could put governments into a situation where you have a minority, uh, that then results in the situation that you have where, you know, for that four-year period. And so that then also makes winning incredibly important. If you win, mm. you've got four years where you can take on your agenda and take it in whatever direction you wish. Now, does that mean you're going to win that next election? Well, it might and it might not. But, uh, you know, leaders, and I keep coming back to, you know, my political mentor, which was Peter Lougheed, leaders like Peter Lougheed weren't governing for the next election. Leaders like Peter Lougheed governed for the next generation. And they governed to see where would we be in 20, 40, 60 years. And they made the decisions that would put their province in the best position 20 or 40 years down the road. And if some of those decisions in the short term resulted in a loss of immediate popularity and might cost votes, that was less of a concern. The bigger concern was governing in a way that was good in the long term. Uh, I, I'm worried, and I think a lot of Albertans are worried, that we've lost that long-term view. How do we start to break that down? You know, it's, it's, it's going in the wrong direction. Uh, you have a couple of ideas in, in, in your article here. How do, we, how do we reverse the hyper-partisanship? How do we get people to work together? How do we get people to see each other as, as human beings rather than just a member of a particular caucus? Well, I think part of it, a big part of it is leadership. You know, any, any political party takes its tone from the top. And, and if, if the leadership can set a tone that, that encourages, you know, a more cooperative working together, then, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's the start of it. Uh, a second thing is, is something that probably doesn't really register with a lot of folks, but it is surprisingly important. And that is uh, that, that we have to recognize we're all human beings and that we could find common ground in areas outside of the legislature and outside of the legislation we probably have a lot more common interests than people realize. And it might be sports, it might be music or culture, or it might be other areas. But right now, when we get to Edmonton, we are extremely tribal. You know, the NDP caucus hangs with the NDP caucus. The UCP mm. caucus hangs with the UCP caucus. I'm by myself. So that's all right, too. But there is very little exchange between the parties on a sort of social out-of-hours basis. And, you know, there was a time where MLAs, when they came to Edmonton, you know, if they had nothing to do in the evenings, they'd get together and play a game of pickup hockey, or there would be a band that, you know, there was a band and it had said, oh, gee, you know, the liberal from Calgary is a great clarinet player. Let's get him in the band. Who cares what his politics are? The guy can play clarinet, you right. know, and, and 
those are the way that, you know, friendships can be forged. You know, I've become, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I consider Dr. Swan a friend. I consider Greg Clark a good friend. And, you know, I, I get along very well with, with members of the NDP and members of the UCP. Brian Mason and I get along extremely well. I, I like Brian. Um, you know, and as you're not, he's, he's, that's not hard to do. Brian's a very likable guy. Um, and, and I think that if you then have those relationships, when things start getting heated in the, in the house, and I know Brian's done this with me several times, he'll say, come on to my office, let's, let's have a chat. And, and you can just bring down the temperature and you can see if there's some way forward, you know, to break an impasse or that sort of thing. I, I see precious little of that going on. All right. Well, we are out of time, so we will wrap it up there. Thanks very much to our guest, Richard Starkey, the independent MLA for Vermilion Lloyd Minster. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Press Gallery Interview. We will be back again next week with another exciting guest. So we'll see you then.